Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Austin, I cannot tell you how excited I am today to have uh, this couple on that we're going to have. Yeah, and what did uh, you use the millennial term the other day that it's a fire guest? It is. I was real, I was real proud of you for that millennial term there. Well, I've already checked. He does have pants on. I was a yeah. little concerned <laughs> that uh, he might show up, but you know, when when his wife's around, I feel like uh, there's some semblance of order that stays intact. Uh, when uh, when Candy's Austin's not around, there's there's no telling what's going to happen. So, yeah. but let I, just just as a background before I do kind of the official bio. Uh, just to give you a platform uh, uh, and some perspective for the listeners who've kind of been hanging, hanging on to this for so long. I've talked about this guy on and off for a long time. He is such a great friend and a dear friend of mine. Uh, and he had a hand in saving my life. He uh, went, I, I often talk about, you know, uh, the betrayal and, and uh, the ban- abandonment that happened after I left Chateau. This guy showed up and actually uh changed my life forever this this is and he is he is a great friend so i just want to kind of set the stage for uh how uh near and dear this guy is to me but uh without any uh further waiting travis and candy taylor travis is a marine corps combat vet uh former executive protection guy uh, he's going to talk about his sobriety in a minute. Father's, uh, father, husband, and, and God fearing man and his wife, Candy, a uh, beautiful human. Uh, she works, uh, in upper management for a large corporation, uh, Travis and Candy so much, uh, so happy to have you guys on the no one fights alone podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm excited to be here. I've big deal to me. And I, uh, I appreciate it. I've heard a lot about this for a while and I'm, I appreciate it's it. It's all lies. <laughs> it's yeah, it is. It's just it's just two idiots on here trying to highlight some uh, great people. Well, that's the best usually. Well, let's uh let's kind of dive into it. Uh Travis, why don't you take off a little bit and tell us a little bit about uh about your about your career? Uh well, there's uh I started off um in in high school doing the we, most of us in veteran community or first responder are, are a certain type of personality anyways. But you know, I remember in high school, senior year, I think 9-11 happened. Um, and I wanted to join. I remember talking to recruiters and then for some reason I was like, well, I'm, I'll give college a try first. Um, and I just, I was miserable, um, did not finish. But I, I, I think I... Lasted about like, two years, not even that, maybe like two semesters, two years. Um, but I was just um, watching the news, watching everything happen, and I just was wasting money um, completely. And so I went and signed up for the Marine Corps, and um, there was other things going on in life too. And I thought, well, that'll help straighten me out. Um, and I ended up being a, I was a forward observer. Um, with a rocket artillery um, platoon who, or a rocket artillery battery um, who actually were the first, the first um, 
battery in the Marine Corps to have this new weapon system and then to actually use it in combat. Um, I got to be a, a Ford Observer. I think most people probably know what Ford Observer is. I've got the most fun job, I think, in the whole Marine Corps. But I just look at stuff and call in very large explosions on it. Um, and it's a blast. Um, but Literally. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally, yeah. I missed it. Um, but we, uh, I got to be a part of that and that was really cool. Um, and we, uh, after that, I was getting out in eight years was looking at getting out or re-signing or getting out. I saw that the divorce rate in the, you know, especially in the enlisted side was like 90%. You know, and I just had a baby. Uh, she just had a baby and, um, we were, there was something in me saying, I want to give this, this marriage and this whole way of life, a, a real shot. So I was, uh, they were talking about resigning and resigning bonuses and whatever. And I just like, no, I'm, I think I'm done. And I was looking at, um, what I was going to do after. And man, this, this, uh, really cool opportunity, um, plopped in my lap and I ended up doing executive protection for just shy of five years um and made a whole lot of awesome lifelong friendships and connections through that um i love that so so let's uh let's back up that tells us a little bit about your your uh your background uh on the veteran side but let's back up just a little bit and talk about uh talk about you and candy tell us a little bit about how you met where you're where your forward observation skills came in, in, uh, uh, finding candy. We just, we, uh, were ended up when we were both going to UCO and, uh, through, through some life groups. And I was kind of helping out with youth showing up there and helping out with youth. And we, uh, ended up just being in the same group of friends, um, for a while. And, it was a really cool deal because we were just, we got to be really close, um, really good friends. And then we both just started kind of, um, well, I think I fell for her and then I manipulated her into dating me, but That's how it normally works. Yeah. It worked out good for me. Um, so yeah, just through, through that, through mutual friends, through, uh, us just, we got close and, um, ended up I was just like, Hey, I think I like her. Uh, and invited her to a Marine Corps ball at one point and, uh, it's kind of pretty soon after that we started dating. Well, how about you, Candy? What, uh, what was your perspective on, was it love at first sight? Was it, was it, uh, instant or was it, or was it instant carnage? <laughs> I was dating someone when we met. Um, we were friends for probably almost two years. Yeah. Um, before we really started kind of dating, like you said, just uh, mutual friends. We kind of just always somehow ended up in the same circles and running into each other um, over a couple of years. And that's really kind of how the friendship started, which to me has been valuable because usually at the start of a relationship, you know, there's a lot of pretense and being fake that happens. And we really knew each other. Um, 
we've been around each other, like he was drunk or whatever <laughs> happened, you know? And so what? <laughs> it's true. I always tell people that when she starts questioning me or whatever, like before we started dating, she watched me snort a line of cayenne pepper off a table and she still decided to date me. So it's not really my decision-making. That had to have been attractive. (laughs) (laughs) That's a green flag. (laughs) Exactly. Definitely. So, so how long have you been married? Almost 17 years. June will be, or July will be 17 years. Mm -hmm. And you have how many babies? Three. Awesome. How old are they? A little 16 year old who's starting to learn to drive and be boy crazy. And she's SOS. awesome. SOS. No, just yeah. <laughs> She's awesome. But then a nine year old who thinks she's 15 and a six year old boy. Oh, that's, good a, kids. that's amazing. Yeah. So if we, uh, if, if we're looking at uh, a young couple in love, uh, and you were married before you went in the Marine Corps, correct? No. So that's another story. <laughs> no, okay. we, we got engaged. And let's put it this way. We got engaged. Someone's a sinner. And we found she got out pregnant. we were pregnant. <laughs> and we got married and he deployed all within two weeks. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. We were engaged before. Uh, but then we... Before I was, I was leaving, I was deploying and was on uh, pre-deployment leave and I'm going to Walmart to get a CD holder. Cause back in the days at CDs, and a, little, a small little CD case that I could take with me. And she goes, Hey, why don't you grab a pregnancy test? And I'm like, what? Cause that wasn't supposed to be able to happen. She's like, I don't have any reason to believe, but you're just about to go to war. Let's just, I just went and I was like, okay. And I got one and it was positive. So I immediately went back to Walmart at midnight and got two of every brand (laughs) and they were all positive. So my, my godfather at the time was the district judge in Creek County and, uh, called him and he said, yeah, come on up here tomorrow and got married in Sepulpa courthouse actually so can you talk about that that must have been a little bit anxiety ridden right like you're he is leaving for was it nine months was that deployment nine months yep so he's leaving for nine months so he's gonna be gone the whole time what were you feeling right then it's our seven month deployment i i felt um shock anxiety shame um all the things I remember just thinking like, this is not good. This is not good. And I looked up at him and he's like grinning and I'm like, what are you doing? This is not good. And he's like, no, it's okay. Like we're starting a family. And I'm like, I just remember I was so shocked and scared and very anxious. Um, I was scared to tell my family. I was scared to tell people and thinking, he's about to leave and I'm going to have to deal with all of this aftermath by myself. Um, that was just kind of looming and weighing on me. And sending him off to war. And that. It was an easy pregnancy for me. He <laughs> <laughs> tells people, see, you just knock her up. You leave the country for seven months. You come back, there's a baby. <laughs> That's how the story comes. 
Okay, so so we uh, we have a successful uh, birth of our uh, first child, and yeah. and uh, kind of moving through the story, all as well. We come back, uh, Travis, kind of pick it up from there. Where where does the uh, where does the story start to come off the rails a little bit? I think about there. Honestly, I was home. 10 days before she was born. I got home 10 days before she was born because a buddy of mine gave up his spot on an advanced party because the Marine Corps did seven month deployments. <clears throat> we had advanced party guys to go two weeks before to help, help the situation, get our, our place set up and everything running and whatever. And those were going to be the guys coming back two weeks early on advanced party. Uh, and he gave up a spot for me because we knew it was getting close. Uh, and I was home 10 days uh and then we're in a little apartment i've been in country 10 days literally from iraq that's not like i mean i had done the demo but camp lejeune and, and whatever um and then we're in a little apartment and i've got things going on in me that i was not only i mean i had no idea what was going on in me i was in denial honestly but i also didn't know i just thought i was pissed off and angry and then didn't know what was going on. But we're in a little apartment with a little um, PTSD going on and a little postpartum going on. Um, Great combo. Yeah. 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 Uh, and yeah, I forget. Like in the hospital, they, nurses came in to get the, my daughter, and I yelled at him one time. Like I didn't, I just didn't know what's like, where are you, what are you doing with my kid? Um, but they, uh, I, I realized like I couldn't drink all the time because that's what I wanted to do because it, it made me feel better for that time. So that's when I really started realizing that um, that's what I would like to do. That's my preferred thing is, is alcohol. But some pain pills um, that I messed up my back uh, in Iraq and um, I've gotten some legit injuries and pain pills back then were easy to come by. I can, I can do that, and no one knows. She doesn't know. Nobody knows, and I can change the way I'm feeling, change what's going on in my head, uh, and then it, it can be okay. So no one's got to know. No one's got to get hurt. You know, it's I'm not. I can, I can function on them. I can do whatever. It's not like I'm getting drunk. Um, and that's when some of the lies started setting in about who I was hurting and and all of those things, but. That's really when I think a lot of it started. It was a long process after that, but a lot of it that started coming off the rails, you say, is is back then. Candy, what what uh, what were you seeing? What what is it? There's there had to have been so many things going through your head uh, from the time he left to the time he come back, and now you've got this. Um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but different person back. Um, tell us a little bit about what your perspective was on that. Well, before um, his deployment, um, he would drink occasionally, but it wasn't often. It wasn't a huge deal. Um, and then when we were very serious, rarely drink at all. Um, and then when he got home, he started drinking more like every night when he would get off work, he'd stop and get alcohol and bring it home. And I sure were thinking like, Oh, this wasn't <clears throat> a thing before. 
And now this is becoming an everyday thing. And that was different. Um, and two, just how he would react to things. He was much more explosive if he was triggered by something. Um, I remember the very first time that his PTSD, I think we had like a full episode, was when we went to um, a basketball gym. There was a game. And we walked in. We were a few minutes late. And so I just wanted to like hurry and get to our seats up in the middle of the stands where some of our family was. And so we walked in the gym and he wasn't following me. He just stopped dead in his tracks. And I'm like, what are you doing? Come on, we're late. We got to go sit down. And so I was frustrated because he just stopped and he wasn't moving. He was like, just wait, just wait. And I'm like, no, we got to get there. Like people are waiting on us. And so I just took off and went and sat down and I remember like his eyes were big and he just stopped. He was like frozen, but then he just disappeared and I didn't really know what happened. Um, and so probably 15, 20 minutes later, I went to find him cause he never came and sat down and I saw he was having like a legitimate panic attack and I didn't understand just crying <laughs> <laughs> just in the corner. No crying. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on either. Sure. Of course. And he just reacted and I didn't know what was happening. And I think that was the first time that I realized like, oh, this is something that he can't control. It's something that just comes on and it's not something that he can necessarily rationalize through in the moment. Um, and so that has happened a few times um, throughout. I think he knows how to manage it now and he can sense it coming on and we can talk through it now. I think at the time, <laughs> We just didn't even know what's happening. I mean, it still happens today. Like 4th of July is very different for us. Like fireworks are not a thing. Um, and that's oh. okay. Um, but we can talk about it now and recognize it. And we know what's happening. And we know how to work through it at the time. It's like you, it's happening to you, but you don't understand what's happening. And especially whenever you take two people who have never been through those things before, we have very dis different personalities, different backgrounds and smashing mm -hmm. that together. It is just a collision across the board. I think too, there's an aspect of when he came home and I don't want to speak for him, um, but he had a lot of pride and purpose through what he did with the Marine Corps and coming home from deployment. It's like he'd been around a bunch of Marines. He'd been uh, very task and mission driven and oriented and then comes home to tiny apartment, new mom, new baby. Um, he was working in an office every day um, with only women, and I'll say dramatic women. Um, so just very different environment than what he was used to. And I think just that sense of purpose and having a mission and being with people of like mind um, wasn't there. And I think that came through whenever we would talk about things. Um, sure. It was just like, I don't really know what I'm doing and mm -hmm. I'm going to move forward. What was the state of your marriage at this point? Was it, uh, I mean, were, were you still get along really well? Were you, was there some frustration in the background or was there something building? Um, I mean, I think we were, we were both trying. We just didn't have the communication tools. We didn't have the skills. We didn't know. I mean, for me, I, I didn't know it was, the way I was raised and the way the call, like, I didn't know, like you, Hey, you go ask for help for this. Like, no, you just make it work. 
Like you just do what you have to, you make it work. Um, and you, <laughs> you gotta have help in life. That's how we're wired. Sure. Um, for me, I mean, it was communication, man. Cause now, like she said, if I've got one of those and I just, ha- I just like to be the one with the fireworks. That's fine. <laughs> if I don't know <laughs> when, when it's all going off, there's only so many shoulder flinches before I'm just like, I'm out of here. Um, but the, uh, like she'll be like, I'll be like, we were at a brother-in-law's party at this one place. And I was like, I want to sit over in the corner for a minute. It's fine. I just got to go over here. She's like, is there anything I can do? Can I, I'm like, you can just be quiet and <laughs> go do whatever and I'll be okay. So that's like the communication is we were trying. That's why I think it was such a long process and time. We were both trying. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I was dealing with my own, I think identity crisis because my whole life I was always active in sports, active in church, active in leadership groups, um, you know, whether that was in high school, college, I graduated college, but I didn't have a job. I wasn't volunteering. I wasn't serving. I mean, before this, like I'd been on, uh, trips to Sierra Leone, West Africa, serving orphans and just doing all of these things that I felt made me a better person. And so all of that went away where I was just like, what am I doing you know, for myself. Um, my identity was now just being a mom and a wife. And so I really struggled with that. And so I think that coupled with what he was going through was really difficult. And I think it was just like, oh, my dreams and the idea of what I thought, like a perfect marriage and a perfect family and having a first baby, it just didn't align with what I thought that was going to be like. And so that was difficult. And so I, I got a question I think is, um, so you're talking about was this the when you got back from your first tour because you had eight years right and so yeah. did you we just had you one, go back? we were a non-deployable because it was a new weapon system the the marine corps was was coming up it's similar to an army one but the marine corps doesn't want to have anything <laughs> there's a pride element they didn't look at the other one manual and say what can we use and not use? They just took the army manual and threw it out. And like, and I get it. The, the operational, it's different. Like the needs of what we needed from it were different than the armies. But basically we were writing a new manual on the whole thing and how to use it. And, and so uh, we were non-deployable for a while. Um, so we only had one, um, one deployment to Iraq. Um, okay. So, yeah, that was frustrating for a while. I didn't get, they were non-deployable for years before I got there. Cause they, this was a year's mm-hmm. process. I think it started in like 2002 or three. We didn't deploy until 2007, maybe five years. Uh, okay. And I, and I uh, came in later uh, in that process. So, so you get to eight, year eight, you talked about it earlier. You get to year eight and you talked about, you know, 90% divorce rates, all that kind of stuff. Like where's the next phase for you? Where's the next phase for your relationship? Like you're getting out. What's, what's next for you guys? That's when the, I mean, we, I think we had, we got our first house, a mm-hmm. uh, little house, uh, moved in with a neighbor who was also a raging alcoholic. He was, <laughs> he was about my age. That was not good. I mean, we would have done it anyways. Um, but then just kind of started working, um, just started working at uh, Chesapeake and um, 
just kind of trudging through that whole process. It's there's not a lot of significant in my mind. It's it was just all a lot of the same. Just drinking too much most of the time, but not when I absolutely couldn't. Uh, like at work, I wouldn't drink at work, but you know, or, or when it was certain things, or there was times when. I couldn't, but I was miserable. So it's just a series of trying to make it through until I could change my head, whether that was uh, sleeping pills the people would, the doctors would give me, or there was pain pills or alcohol or at any time. And it's just kind of, it was in my mind, it's just a endless cycle for years of, and then trying to not be a horrible husband and father and, um, there's honestly not a whole lot of miles, like say milestones, things that stick out in my head in those years. It's just misery, honestly. And how and how are you feeling at this point about your marriage, Candy? Rocky. Um, when it was good, it was great. When it was bad, it was terrible. I think the difficult thing for me was he was still functioning. I think it's easier once he crossed that line at least for me it was easier once he crossed that line from functioning to not because then i've truly understood this is not controllable there's nothing we can do about it um whenever he would toe that line of functioning <clears throat> he was still present sometimes he could still hold a job he could still go to birthday parties or soccer games um things like that sometimes he would be drunk sometimes he wouldn't um, but I think that kind of volatility was what was so hard because there were good moments. There were nights where it was okay. And so there wasn't, I don't know, there wasn't that decision of, oh, this is too bad. I need out or I need to change because there were moments where it would get better and he would be really apologetic and he would be really remorseful. And then I would still be reeling from the night before but he would be like, no, I'm so sorry. I won't do that again. Da, da, da. And like we worked through it. And then I was like, okay, we're going to do better. And so, but then it just became that rinse repeat cycle. But I think that, and I say functioning loosely, but that functioning <laughs> kind of back and forth to me is the most difficult period of the addiction cycle because it's full blown, but the symptoms of it are are still, you kind of have those good moments where you see that like, oh, that there's that true person that I fell in love with and that I want to be with. And this is what it can be like. We can sit down and have a nice dinner or we can have a good conversation, but then it would just explode again. And it was just kind of that cycle for years, honestly. Sure. The No One Fights Alone podcast is excited to announce the launch of our new merchandise line. Now you can show your support for our mission by purchasing one of our hats, shirts, or hoodies. Our merchandise not only represents our brand and message, but also supports a great cause. A portion of all proceeds will go towards helping individuals and families affected by mental health. Wearing our merchandise not only spreads awareness for our podcast, but also serves as a reminder that no one has to fight alone. Join us in showing your support and spreading the message of hope and community by purchasing one of our No One Fights Alone items today from our website, nofapodcast.com, nofapodcast.com. So let's, let's, uh, let's kind of fast forward to, to the, to the peak of where 
where life changes for you. Travis, tell us, tell us that, tell us that, uh, take us down that path. So it's 2015. I mean, I had, I had gradually, um, just started drinking a little more and more after work in between times. Um, whatever the case was, I mean, stop and get a pint before, and then I would or get a pint of vodka for later. And then a lot of times it turned into two, um, or have a few of, you know, a few of these pills. So I don't have to get so drunk and ruin everything. You know, I'm justifying and, and whatever it is. Um, but then the stage was set for, uh, I had layoffs or they had big mass layoffs at Chesapeake. Um, and the, um, there's no wonder I was, you know, <laughs> on the top of the list. Cause I mean, they, they had made comments about me, uh, thinking that I was drinking too much off work anyways, um, once or twice. And I, I, I was a prideful, arrogant ass, honestly, stop bumping the table. Um, and, uh, I got laid off and, uh, at the time a felony DUI the same day. Um, and, um, gotten a verbal altercation with the Edmond police department in my front yard. <laughs> and, uh, it just, after I got out of county jail, I mean, I, that day was the start of the, just the, the real bad the real dark. I mean, it was bad and dark before, but that's when I just would sit in the garage and drink vodka all day, every day, um, for a while. Um, that's when there's different, I don't know. It's just all one big blur. Usually in my head, I mean, not eating for days. She left a few times and took the kids like she should have. Um, and, then I think I went to Valley Hope eventually at some point because there were some guys from work I got close to. There was a British military guy that I worked with and another guy that showed up at my front door. They knew I wasn't doing good. And I, aunt, I think she had left. I don't know. But I answered the door in my poncho liner and underwear. <laughs> and I was down. <laughs> when I dropped my weight, like I was like what I wrestled at in middle school. Um and they were like, man, and they said, like, we're not leaving until you call uh, and get help. And I was like, yeah, OK. And I called and they're like, yeah, we got a spot. See you today. <laughs> I was like, whoa, I thought this was going to be like a in a week or two thing. But I went got down there. Um, there's all sorts of reasons why it, it didn't last long. And, and um, but I was doing it for her and the kids not for me uh and then within two weeks a week or two after i'm just back at it um so it's it really at some point though i mean there was a a night where she left and taken the kids again the timelines are i know before i went to the ranch the first time that's the night where I decided that I was finally just going to end it all. Um, 
And I remember the plan I had and I was minimizing the gunk and mess to clean up. And I knew what gun I was going to use because I didn't want it tied to my dad in any ways. Because most of my guns at that time were he had given me or bought me or, or something. Um, and I remember being surprised how calm I was and thinking like the movies were bullshit because, you know, I'm not, it's not like that. Um, but I wanted to call this one guy. I don't know why. Uh, he was a, a radio operator on my scout team for a while. He'd been with him, like just God kept putting us together in life a lot. And I wanted to call him and I didn't want to tell him what was going on, but I just wanted to tell him, you know, I, I appreciate him and, um, was telling me, oh, thanks. And, I, but I was, I remember being mindful. Like I didn't want to tip my hand at what was happening. I just wanted to talk to him and he didn't, he didn't get a good, this is where a few things come together. That I know is God, like he didn't get a good feeling from that conversation. And he had since joined the air force and was in Puerto Rico or something. Um, I went inside and it sounds, this is going to sound silly to, to normies, but like, I know how much vodka, like I had a time, like I had a pattern. I know how much vodka it would take. It took to make me pass out. I knew the time that I usually, like I knew all these things and it wasn't close to any of those times, but I just smooth passed out, um, on the couch. Uh, I did not have that much vodka in me that should have done that yet. It wasn't the time of night that that always happened every single night before. There's a lot of things about it that I think I know it was just God. And it gave her time, him to call her. And she called these, um, these other guys are in this veterans group that, uh, it's called reboot, um, that I had gotten kind of close with, uh, one was a retired gunny and one was with a 10th mountain division and they came over and broke in my back door. Um, and I woke up to them there and that's, I needed that time, that talk I had, I don't remember a whole lot about it. Um, but I needed that time because I remember thinking, well, I can always do this later. And that's something else. I remember the, the lies and the darkness of believing that everyone's going to be better off. I'm just dragging everyone down. Um, people will be sad for a while but everyone's going to be better off in the long run. Um, well, I'm looking at my, I was thinking about that like a few weeks ago. I'm looking at my kids now and, and my son. I mean, that's, he wouldn't even be here. Um, but anyways, those guys gave me the time I needed. I thought, you know, I can always do this later. Um, but I haven't given this place that people are bothering me about a chance. This Rob's Ranch place. I haven't, I know there's a guy named Brian that's been talking to me and I haven't done that. So what's the harm in, in trying this? Uh, and um, that doesn't work. You know, there's always this option. Um, and I think that next day when I started heading to detox for then was kind of the start of started the uptrend to the chaos still bad for a while but it was more of the i realized there was hope after i went to the ranch that first time i realized there was hope uh, i had to go back again a year later but that was that was kind of the uptrend of it until my second go and that was when it all all changed
What's your perspective on on that same time frame of what he's what he's talking about? What what's happening in Candy's world? I by this time, um, I had accepted he's an alcoholic, and I had accepted that there wasn't much that I could do. I had tried everything in the book. You know, I would pour it down the drain. I would buy it for him. I would make it where everything was calm in the house. I would, you know, act a certain way, not act a certain way. And just, um, there was a lady at work who led a sober house and had experience with addiction. It was the only person that I really knew that had had that and started um, just kind of talking to her and confiding in her and some of the things that were happening at home. For a couple of years, she encouraged me to go to Al-Anon, um, which is essentially AA for loved ones of alcoholics. And I, it took me a long time before I ever set foot in one of those rooms. It took me a few years. Um, but I remember the first beginners meeting I went to in Edmond and the one thing that really stuck out to me was this lady shared her story and she said to think about alcoholism as a family disease and to think about the family system like a baby mobile that's all out of whack and so it's just completely chaotic it's all out of whack there's instability across the board for everyone involved and she said, if one person can get recovery, even if it's not the alcoholic, it provides stability to the entire family system. And by this time, we'd had two kids. And I just decided, okay, even if he doesn't get better, even if he doesn't get sober, I can be that one person. I don't know what that looks like. But I just had resolved to myself if I'm going to be the person that brings stability to our family in this chaotic environment. So I started getting more involved with Al-Anon. I think the next defining moment that he already talked about was the day he got laid off. He called me um, like 1030 in the morning. He said, well, I got laid off. It wasn't a huge surprise because they had been going through these cycles for the last several months and it was just his turn. Uh, but just that overwhelming feeling of, oh my God, what are we going to do? At the time I was working from home like 10 hours a week for a nonprofit, not making any money. And we had two kids. I had a baby at home. And just that, I don't know what we're going to do, thought. I don't know how we're going to pay our bills. I don't know how we're going to pay our mortgage. Probably going to lose our home. Am I going to have to get a job? Just reeling with all of those thoughts. Fast forward to like two hours. Um, he pulls up in the driveway and cops had followed him home. He had ended up mowing down a mailbox a couple miles away. In our new Tahoe, by the way, which I was also pissed about because I'm like, and <laughs> mind you, it was the only brick mailbox on this entire street. Of course, that's the one that he moved down. Um, thank God we had like insurance on it for two weeks. Um, it's when that happened, but I was pissed about that. Anyways, uh, cops follow him home, uh, arrest him in the driveway. Thankfully, our 
oldest wasn't home from school yet. His mom had actually come down the street to drop her off, saw the cop cars turned around. Um, so our oldest didn't have to experience any of that. But um, the one of the arresting officers, he was like, hey, I'm a Marine, Marine Corps combat vet. I'm married. I've been through the ringer. I know what this is like. And he handed me a card. And he said, there's this group of people that help people like us. You guys should maybe give them a call. Um, so he had gotten laid off. He'd gotten arrested. We're going through the whole court thing. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. He said, he said people like us. What veterans. Let, it was let, Let's talk about that just for a second. Okay. What, what, who is that? What, what was he referring to? He's referring to veterans, veterans who are struggling to cope and using substances to do that. Well, not reboot. There was some in reboot, but reboot was is just combat trauma stuff, um, and it was it's it was the environment and the guys around me. That was one of the things about it. Like that's why God, until I was ready to admit my substance abuse, God used some vets who didn't know how to deal with substance abuse in someone else because they were enablers and they were this and that. But I needed that connection and love and bond that they showed me and gave me. Until I was ready to call the like Brian's and the people like that, because I needed this guy Gary, the guy, guy that kicked in my back door, and a lot of these guys that didn't have substance abuse problems themselves and didn't know how to handle it with me. Because I remember them being like, "Let's just go get one beer. We don't have to get." And I'm like, yep. "Yeah, that sounds great." <laughs> like they didn't understand, but God used them in a way in my life that I needed at that time, um, in a huge way. They just loved on me and. Um, didn't give up on me. Um, Outstanding. Yeah. Okay, sorry, Candy. Keep going. It's okay. And I remember when he um, when he had gotten arrested. Um, I was standing in my front yard. Like he just got arrested. He got laid off. I feel very lost and out of control. Um, and again, it was just reeling with all these thoughts. But as I'm like watching him drive away in the cop car down the road. I just had this overwhelming sense of peace that I think God gave me of this is the start of the end. And that lasted for a lot longer than I probably would have liked. Um, but it was just kind of like God saying to me in the moment of I've got it. And even though it was so chaotic, I just had a sense of peace and a calm about it. I didn't know what it's going to look like. It changed hour by hour. Um, it was very chaotic, but I remember just having peace in that moment, just watching all of that happen and having zero control, um, which is very difficult. Um, so that happened. He got out of jail. We were going through the whole legal process. Um, he ended up calling the contact on that card and it got us in contact with the people that he's talking about through Reboot, which is the Combat Trauma Recovery Group. So we started going to that group, and it was families. So the kids and I went to. It was the first time that I started really opening up to other people about what was going on at home. And I think 
what caused me to start opening up was seeing their vulnerability and them sharing their stories. And then I was able to reciprocate that and slowly build trust. And so I just like drop little nuggets, not the full story, but just to kind of like gauge reactions um, and hearing their stories of like, oh yeah, they have holes punched in their walls too. And they've have blow ups and this is what this looks like. And just feeling not alone for the first time and thinking, oh, we're not completely crazy. There are other people who have been through similar circumstances. And Brian that he's mentioning, um, Brian and Cindy uh, was this couple that were there who had been married for like 20 years and had been through the ringer, but they were still married. And hearing their story and seeing them come through the other side gave me a glimmer of hope. And also Brian, you know, if I would share a story, Brian would say, oh yeah, that's classic alcoholic behavior. And I would tell him maybe an episode that happened or a conversation that happened or something that Travis did. And he would say, oh yeah, that's classic. He said, I can pull out my DSM-5 and show you exactly where this is textbook. And so I think just hearing their experience and then also hearing that was like, oh, we're not crazy. There are other people like this, which gave me hope. And then I was like, okay, maybe there is a solution. Mind you, the whole time, I knew that I had to do it for myself and my family, no matter what he was going to do. Um, And then after that, it just kept spiraling and getting out of control to where I couldn't hide it anymore. I mean, one of the reboots, uh, he actually showed up. He had drank a whole lot before we got there, was very drunk. He actually got kicked out. Uh, The lady who ran it, she was like, I've never kicked anyone out of a group before, but Travis, you have to leave. (laughs) Um, But they were there with us the whole time and walked through everything with us, um, which was really important for us that even in the crazy, it didn't scare them away. They were still in the trenches with us, you know, would would sit with us and didn't even necessarily have answers or next steps, but even just being present and not feeling alone in that moment was everything. I remember, I remember guys from that class, me talking to them for hours in the evenings and me honestly thinking like these guys need help. I'm helping them out. I'm I'm doing a good service. Doing them a favor. So yeah, and it's obvious back in the back, like I'm the psycho one they're worried about. Like <laughs> people are, and I'm like, yeah, this guy, he needs help. He's lonely, whatever. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, God, definitely. Like, the stuff got put in our lives for a reason when it did. And it always does seem that way. Like I think recovery is a magical thing where like nothing happens for by accident. Right. You know, Brad and I talk about it all the time. Um, you talked a little bit about kind of your last day at Rob's. Um, I mean, let's let's start going towards there. Like, let's start going towards your recovery and what yeah. you guys had to do to to be successful in your lives, your marriage, be happy, all, all of those things. Like, let's start going there. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it actually started with me. Like, it. well, I don't know, Brad, I, I was going to hit on because at the, the very end of the end, I think, was when the night Brad alluded to at the beginning 
uh, or when we were talking before about uh, with Candy and I, uh, when she was eight months pregnant and uh, this was, I don't know, 10 months after I got out of the ranch the first time and started when back then there was only 3.2 beer on Sundays. That's your only choice. Well, I, my tolerance was way too high for any of that. And so I did some research and found out the mouthwash that will kill you the slowest if you drink it has the least amount of crap in it. And so a lot of Sundays and a lot of times I'd be drinking mouthwash. Also, it was harder for her to smell uh, and tell. Um, but there was a night I was, I had already pretty hit it pretty, been hitting it pretty hard again and couldn't go back to work, lost another job. But I got after the first time a good job at water plant and I was blackout drunk on a big bottle of mouthwash. I remember bits and pieces, but I've also been told the story a lot, but, um, I thought we were being attacked. Um, and she's not listening to me. And so I am dragging her around the house, putting her in closets, leg sweeping her because she's not going, she's not trying to get where I'm putting her. And then, you know, I remember throwing a couch out of the way or something, putting her behind furniture. I remember vividly though, her looking at me now and saying, it's me, it's me. Um, but I woke up the next morning and knew something big had happened. I wasn't real sure what it was, um, but I knew something, she was gone again and took the kids. Um, I knew that feeling of empty house. I knew like, oh, well, this has happened again. Um, and that was, I talked to some people and that was honestly, I'd like to say that was the big event that stopped everything. The sad part is I know that was just a straw that broke the camel's back on, because if that would have happened a year before, I'd have justified, like she knew who she married or, or whatever, but that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And it's not a straw, but um, I don't want to downplay it, but uh, it was finally where I said, okay. I've experienced enough of this recovery thing, this God stuff to know there's something there and what's happening now. It's, it's either prison death or, I mean, that's it or, or do something. Um, and that event was the catalyst for me to finally go back, uh, go back to the ranch and the ranch called. They knew I twisted off. They called and said, Hey, we'll give you a veteran scholarship. You're going to come. And, uh, I talked to a couple of buddies and I pouted for a couple of days and drank, <laughs> but I made my mind up pretty quick that, yeah, I'm going back. Um, and then in detox, that's really where I think like you're talking about where <clears throat> this shift started in detox. Once I kind of got clear headed, um, I remember just seeking God and I knew something had changed before. Like I said, I knew that I knew there was hope. I knew there was an answer. I, I had seen and tasted too much of it to, to keep denying it anymore. Um, which is why I think that last time was so bad, but like one of the nurses husbands was in the Marine Corps. And at some point she comes in and we start talking and she's being really cool. And she's a, I, I said, she's talking about her husband, Trevor. I still remember his name. And um, she's, uh, I said, well, you know, here's some successful people. Maybe I can glean something from what they've done. I'm like, well, can you, like, what's Trevor? Mind if I ask what Trevor's doing these days for work or stability or whatever? 
And she said, well, he came home from Iraq and he was, he had a, he was a Ford observer. Also his MOS was similar to mine. We we're in similar places in Iraq. The timelines were just off by a few years, but our career kind of mirrored each other a little bit. And she said, well, he came home from Iraq and started drinking too much and had trouble dealing with stuff. And he took his own life. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks that he didn't get a second chance. He didn't get, he's, that's done. And now she's here with kids working out how many jobs and how many hours um, and sharing that with me. And I'm here at my third, whatever, fourth, however many chances I've got. And I know it's getting close to being the, done. I just know it. And she's then she, just the, the message she shared with me, whether she meant to or not, was huge. And it was obvious that it was God wanting me to hear that and then us to run into each other and us this to happen. Um, and I made up my mind then and there. Some tangibles that I knew I changed my mind is like I knew I was going to be honest on the, on the fifth step for the first time. I had never been honest on the fourth and fifth step before. I didn't want to anymore, that I, but I knew I was going to be honest. I, I was going to do eight and nine, honestly. I didn't want to do it any more than I did before, but I knew I was going to. I knew I had to. Um, and I just, there was something in it. There was a, I was tired. I remember telling God and not in the bad way. Um, I'm done. Like I'm done. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of this. I'm done. Um, and I went back to the ranch I wasn't a jerk to anybody, but I wasn't there to make friends. I wasn't there to watch movies and play volleyball and whatever. I was there. I In the morning, I read the Bible. I went to the chapel. The first time I was there, there was a former Marine that would get up every morning and go to the chapel. Um, and he's actually doing awesome. I have breakfast or lunch with him Monday. But he would get up and go to the chapel before everyone else and read and pray. And I wasn't thinking like, yeah, hey, that's a good idea. I should try that. But I never did. So this time, I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm going to do that. No matter what's going on, that's what I'm going to do. Um, the mornings I would read, I would either read the Bible or AA literature um, while I was there. But that was one of the things that morning time with God in the chapel was a turning point. Huge. Because I remember the first week, week and a half, I did it like 430 in the morning. We'd go over there and I remember not feeling that warm fuzzy, like I was chasing the, chasing the serotonin or the dopamine or whatever I was doing without knowing it, but I didn't feel anything. And I remember thinking that old lie. Uh, yeah, it's true. I messed up too bad. God's done with me. This, this verifies that because I've been coming over here every morning at four 30 and praying and reading and I don't feel anything. And then the voice of one of the counselors up there hit me and it said, he said, if you're mad at God, tell him he's big enough to handle it. And so I got down on my knees in the chapel there and I said, like word for word, I said, God, maybe it's true. Maybe you're done with me, but I'm going to annoy the shit out of you the rest of my life because I've tried everything else. And right then wasn't an audible voice, but right then this um, thought voice, whatever popped in my head and it said, your feelings aren't my reality. And at the same time, my mind was opened up to just because I'm feeling a certain way doesn't mean that's not only not my truth, but his truth or anyone else's truth. My feelings are usually lying to me, especially at this point in life. Um, and 
I was a feelings driven being. My feelings drove without question, hundred percent, my thoughts and actions. And that can be changed through the tools we're learning of my thoughts and actions change my feelings. My negative feelings today are a flag. Like, okay, there's something going on. I got to address and I have some actions and tools that I use and we deal with it. we look at it. But from that point on, uh, I was like, wow. Like, so just cause I don't feel his warm, fuzzy presence doesn't mean he's not here. That concept. And not that when he reveals something to us big or there's something we know God's obviously involved. Yeah. We're going to have that warm fuzzy. Like I'm not saying that's not, but, um, that was huge. And I went through the ranch. That could have been some of the beginning of just the transformation that God did. Um, cause I saw, yes, I know you grow up hearing things about God and hearing his attributes and hearing whatever. And you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. I trust God because he's God. But when you start experiencing that for yourself and I truly started seeing that he's good and he cares and he does want the best for us. That was huge in my life. It was absolutely huge. Travis and, and Candy, I know, I know we're going to, for, for, for a little bit for time purposes, I know we're going to leave a lot off the table here, but I want to circle us back to, to kind of this relationship uh, theme. And uh, as, as you're rebuilding, it, you, it, this is a powerful message. But if we, if we look at this, we're on... Uh, Candy, what what does it take in this rebuilding process um, as you're as you're coming out of this and he's 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 recognizing this, you're seeing this when he gets home. What's what's next for you? How do you how do you embrace this uh, uh, probably unmeasurable amount of hurt and and pain that that of, of the journey that you've been on? And then how do you start rebuilding this? How do, what, what kind of a mindset uh, does it take as a mom and a wife to, to start uh, going down that path? Um, I think I had to, you got to worry about yourself. Um, I was trying to fix him for so long. And I thought, well, if he's fixed, I'll be okay. And that's what I thought forever. If he's sober, I'll be happy. And the, um, the cruel thing I think about addiction is that cycle of, you know, he would have stints of sobriety, he'd be in and out of detox or treatment and things like that. And so I think that hope and then the letdown, the hope and the letdown, um, was really difficult cycle. Um, and then the night that he, um, was talking about that was pretty, um, physical. And I remember in that moment, um, you know, and he, he had me on the floor, honestly, and just praying that my oldest daughter, she was 10 at the time, wouldn't come in the kitchen. She, her bedroom was not that far away. Um, and I just had this overwhelming sense of peace, um, in that moment that I think God gave me and I had a resolve. Um, I knew that I was not going to allow myself to be in that situation anymore. I didn't know what it was going to take, but I just knew my kids and I will never be in this situation. Um, so what did I ended up telling him the next day is that I'm slowly watching you kill yourself and I can't do anything about that. I have now finally accepted that I can't do anything about that. 
Um, but we choose how we're going to live and the life that we're going to have. Our kids don't get that choice we choose for them. And so I'm choosing that our kids are not going to live in this environment anymore. So if this is the path that you're choosing for your life, that's within your right to do so. But the kids and I are not going to do this anymore. So as long as you're drinking, I'm not going to be under the same roof as you. Um, so I took the kids that day and I left. Um, and I just said, it wasn't some big grand dramatic feeling or decision or anything like that, that had happened. I think my involvement in Al-Anon and getting to know other people who had walked that journey led me to that point. And I just had to decide I need to do this for myself and my kids, even if he's not going to do that. Um, so I knew that I needed my own recovery, my own healing. Um, it was telling after the fact, even after he had gotten sober, I mean, he had been sober like two years. Um, and I remember sitting in church one day and he just looked at me and he was like, you're angry. And I was like, I'm not angry. I'm the, you know, nice person, good Christian girl. I don't get angry. Um, but when I really started thinking about it, I was angry. I think by that point, um, he had been sober long enough that I had started to thaw out a little bit. I think I'd been so numb leading up to that, that I had numbed all feelings, good and bad. And I was starting to heal to the point where I could feel again. And then what I was starting to feel um, was anger, resentment, things like that. And then it finally dawned on me of even if he's sober or not, I still need my own healing. I'm still going to have to do this for myself. Um, which kind of sucked because I'm like, he's the one with the problem. I don't need the help. <laughs> um, and so then I was just like, well, shoot, I got to work on myself too. And really started digging into those programs and those relationships, not to help me fix him and fix our relationship and our family, but for myself. And to understand for myself that I needed this. And I think through that in and of itself, it helped our relationship because I think when we can focus on ourselves and work on ourselves, then we end up being better together. But if our focus is, if my focus is on him, um, then that's where all of my energy and all of my criticism and everything that I feel like needs to change is going to be within him and not myself. And so if I can worry about myself and focus on myself, um, to me, that that's helpful. Yeah. And I would say today, we still have um, crazy things that happen. We still have arguments. I think the intensity of the arguments is just as strong, but they're shorter and they're further apart. And we're able to resolve them faster. I think we're able to recognize those things faster. Um, yeah. and communicate honestly. So like I can tell him, Hey, I know this happened last night. I snapped at you and I was anxious and I'm sorry. And I'm not getting defensive like I used to, or he can tell me when he's scared or he's hurt. And that's what caused us to, you know, start arguing or whatever. So I think we're able to recognize and work through those things faster than we used to because of the communication that we have and because we've been focusing on ourselves. Yeah, you can't communicate 
honestly with someone if you don't honestly know what's going on with your with you yourself and i had to focus on myself and then i got out and i thought i was on the right path but she was still whatever and i remember telling her one night i'm glad she remembered that story because the one i remember is some nights around there when i said you need to figure your shit out <laughs> talking to her so i'm glad she remembers the church one that makes me happy that sounds um, like that sounds like it was given with a lot of grace i'm proud of you for that yeah but anyway so but then i remember thinking like i just got to worry about me because god can take care of me even if in a marriage the other person and i got some sponsees and people that it's not happening for them well you worry about you and god can make whatever's going on around you more tolerable okay your peace can grow and you can learn whatever's happening with them you know that's that's their business but then you start seeing how when we're doing that i remember not long after i started praying just for that to help with that me to do that i mean she came to me and said i've noticed these things about me and i'm going to work on them and i'm like whoa that's cool but what's happened is when we have those fights still it's when we're both in a place where our character defects happen to be hitting at the same time. Because usually more often than not, now what happens is I'll say something to her and snap at her that I know I shouldn't. And I'm like, it, and I hear her, see and hear her go, well, anyways, and just keep moving on. And I'm like, whew, okay, I shouldn't have said that. But then we're fine. And vice versa. She'll say something to me and I'm like, blah, blah, blah. And then it's, okay, I shouldn't say that. And we just move on, right? But when we're both in a negative spot at the same time, uh that's when it'll happen but then like she said like we can see it it's more quickly it's like this is futile like this is stupid I, we know what's happening here so maybe it's not super polite but like just we'll deal with this in a little bit or whatever it is like this needs to needs to stop for right now um but they're fewer they're, they're further and further apart like it's not the happiness is and the good stuff is getting better and the negative times are getting further and further apart and not as you know intense and long and crazy no i think that's a powerful message i think this is uh austin i think this is a really good spot to kind of wrap up uh, uh, and and candy you 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 really did uh kind of put a nice bow on on uh kind of the culmination of of how to how to work on yourself uh, or the importance of working on yourself. I apologize, but uh, as we kind of close out here, I want to offer up uh, again. This is this is a relationship theme. So, I, so any I want to offer up to each of you, if if you had to offer up maybe a tidbit or two of guidance to uh, uh, some relationships out there, listeners who who maybe can can benefit from from your journey. Uh, what would be one or two things that you would offer up as to, hey, uh, this is something that I would steer you towards? What would that be? We can't we can't do it alone. We weren't wired to do it alone. We just weren't. Um, it's not how God made us. Uh, we need help. We need others. Um, but more, and this is a relationship and individually, but more importantly, we need, you need God in your life. You do. Um we're getting into more and more crazy times where that's trying to be proven that he doesn't exist. And there's too much proof in my life that he does. And he, he's a good, loving, loving God. And he's the answer. That's the answer. That's the secret to life. That's the meaning of life. That's the answer everyone's looking for. Um, 
but then how that works, how that works with others. That's, that's the journey. That's, that's awesome. Sure. How about you, Candy? I think be honest, be honest about what you're thinking and feeling, even if you don't communicate it to the other person. Um, we, we went through, so he had been sober for nine months. Um, and I was diagnosed with cancer. I had a, a tumor in my stomach, the size of a softball that we found through other crazy means. My thyroid went whack. We ended up finding this. It was a whole thing. Um, I think that God made all of that happen. Um, and so through that experience, um, of chemo treatment, surgery, all of that was crazy. Um, but I think that experience was not what it would have been had we not been through all of the other trash we had been through before, but we had tools. So we had tools, we had experience to fall back on. We had other people. We knew what to do in that moment, whenever that emotion would come up, um, whenever that situation would come up, you know, again, it was the unknown and something I couldn't control. I was working full time. I had kids. I don't have time for this. My finances can't deal with this. And now I have this thing. Um, and so I think just being honest about what I needed, you know, there were times where I would just start crying at night when it got quiet. Um, and I was alone. That's whenever the emotions would hit and he would be like, what's wrong. And I'm like, nothing, everything. I don't know. You know? Um, but I think just being honest about what I was feeling, um, feeling the emotion and allowing it to process and go through me. I'm a stuffer by nature. I'm like, I don't like feelings. So he calls me ice queen. (laughs) Um, but allowing myself to be honest about what I'm actually feeling, what I'm actually experiencing, what I actually need. Um, I think for me, that's a thing of I'm independent. I don't, I don't need anything. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need God. I don't need him. I got this um, until I don't when there's situations where I don't got it. And so for me, it was just being honest about what I was thinking and feeling in those moments and the things that I needed and allowing him to be there for me, trusting God with some of those things whenever I didn't have any control over this situation. Real quick, that's the, other than sobriety, even before, maybe the most, or one of the most significant growth points in my life was her cancer. And I think growth points in our marriage uh, with our relationship together, with our relationship with God, with our relationship with God together. And people were praying the night we found out for healing. And I'm like, I don't know how that works. That'd be cool. But if God would have snapped his fingers and healed her that night, we would have missed out on a stupid amount of growth. All of that. I mean, she's cancer free today, thankfully. And it, I can't say for her that that process was worth it because it was kind of a sh- crappy process for her. But the growth that came from that, God used that in huge ways, that whole thing. Um, He showed me so much through that, that there can be peace no matter what's going on. Not happiness always, but there can be peace no matter what's going on in your life. Wow. Powerful message. Candy, uh, Travis, thank you guys so much for coming on. It was a true honor to have you uh, tell your story. Appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you a lot. I appreciate it. Love you, Brad. Love you, bro.
Chateau Health and Wellness is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's first responder resiliency program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Health and Wellness is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information or to speak to a representative, go to ChateauRecovery.com or call 888-507-5031.